Welcome to the Athens Frontline, a podcast presented by the Red and Black that covers topics in health and wellness. I'm your host, Simran Kaur Malhotra, here to discuss the next pandemic, the mistakes that have been made during COVID-19, and mRNA technology with Dr. Vasanth Muralidharan. Support for this podcast is provided by the Cox Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership. For more information, visit grady.uga.edu slash coxinstitute. Dr. Vasanth Muralidharan is an associate professor in the Department of Cellular Biology and at the Center for Tropical and Emerging Global Diseases at the University of Georgia. Research in the Muralidharan lab is aimed at understanding the biology of plasmodium, the deadly human parasite that causes malaria, and it's a disease that has affected nearly 500 million people and causes almost a million deaths per year. The research in the Muralidharan lab focuses on organelle biology in this deeply branch eukaryote. Hello, how are you today, Dr. Murali Dharan? I'm good, and you can call me Dr. Wasant. That's what most students call me, so. Awesome. Okay, I will. Thank you. So just to get started, I know that, okay, so the pandemic with Omicron, then we had Delta, a lot is going on. Because I initially talked to you for the first time as a source when uh, professors were mandating masks and all that was happening. And that's how I first met you. Now, of course, we have our own thoughts about how things have been handled throughout this whole pandemic by policymakers and healthcare professionals. So what are some of those major mistakes that have been made by policymakers and healthcare professionals that have caused the COVID-19 pandemic to be far worse than it it could be in the the first place? Right. So that is a really good question. I think there, obviously, as you mentioned, there are several things that have gone wrong. I think one of the major things that we still don't know how to deal with this is misinformation. So there's been tons of misinformation by, I would say, bad actors, bad faith actors, right? And we as a society still haven't figured out how to deal with it. And unfortunately, not many people take it very seriously as a way of how to deal with it. And I think it also takes uh, hold, I think, much better in our country than maybe in some other places, uh, primarily because there's this loss of trust between the policymakers and we as a society, right? So in The other major problem is we actually, the U.S. had a wonderful pandemic playbook that was simply shoved to the side because of politics. Um, And so that is another major issue is we seem to look at everything through a lens of politics and economics. And so we end up in this situation where we insist on freedom uh, from vaccinations and masking. But what about freedom from the virus? (laughs) I would say that would be the most important thing is uh, how to be free as a society from infectious diseases. And we have excellent tools, but due to misinformation, because of politics and because of placing economics at the center, as opposed to a human life at the center, uh, we end up making all sorts of bad decisions, both as individuals and as a society. And that is amplified in the U.S. primarily because we also don't have a social security net um, to speak of. It's most people are left on their own to deal with major societal issues like a pandemic, which we as individuals do not have the capacity to deal with. Uh, and so 
what you end up is in the situation where we're just we it's like groundhog day we're constantly reliving the same pandemic three years now right and what's sad is at this time we have exceptional tools scientifically proven tools uh, we've never had vaccines as good as the ones we have for the COVID-19 pandemic for any other disease, right? So vaccines that are as good as the COVID-19 vaccines, simply they're exceptionally rare. And we, a large segment of our society is refusing to take it. And, and the other thing we should recognize is that there are other places in the world that are doing an exceptional job of managing the pandemic. And I would point out to places like South Korea, for example, just doing an exceptional, really amazing stuff. If you look at how they've dealt with it, they've done a really wonderful job of making sure testing is rapidly available, freely available. Even in the UK, where I have colleagues, you can order tests constantly. And three years into the pandemic, regardless of who's running the government, we get, what, four COVID-19 tests. I mean, this is simply not the way to deal with the pandemic. And I think our shortcomings are obvious. The questions really should be, how are we going to deal with right? right. Um, shoving aside all the other societal issues that we also seem to be dealing with constantly. Yeah. <laughs> About like two years from now, when the pandemic started in 2020, we feared COVID-19 as a whole, right? Just going right. outside, wearing masks, that initial feel, you know, don't let your kids go to school, keep them home, quarantine. But now we fear variants. So can you explain what variants are and why does getting the vaccine matter so much in relation to these variants? So at a very simple level, what variants are are mutants. So how do mutations occur in the virus? So when the virus enters our cells, um, mostly in our sort of airways, it goes inside the cells and it makes copies of itself, okay, its own genome. Now, the enzyme that makes the copies is error prone. So it makes mistakes when it's copying the genome. It's supposed to kind of look at what's written and then copy that exactly, but it's not that good. So it's it makes mistakes. Those mistakes are what we call variants. And um, when you have lots of people getting lots of <laughs> infected uh, viruses, making lots of copies, what ends up happening is you increase the number of variants that are out there. And then a process of natural selection happens. What do I mean by that? Some mutations, some mistakes are deadly for the virus. It cannot cannot survive within the cell or it dies. So those viruses, obviously, we're never going to see, or those variants we're never going to see. There are some that actually have no effect on the virus. They go on, they replicate. They may also not have any effect on the ability to infect other people. And these viruses will stay around in the uh, population um, just carrying on as they normally do. And some variants, like the Omicron, Basically, what's happened there is they've mutated the protein so that they can enter cells much better than... So there are obviously trade-offs, right? So some of these mistakes help you infect better, but then the disease severity might lower, right? The reverse can happen too, right? There's no guarantee that this is what will happen. Some variants, you can get a variant in the future that infects better and is more severe. And so this is what a variant means. It just means a virus that's slightly different or has one or two changes in its DNA or genomic code that then results in changes in the protein that then changes how it behaves in the environment. Why is vaccination important? Well, the fewer people you have, the fewer copies the virus can make. So the fewer mistakes happen, right? So that's at a very simple level, the fewer people that are infected, the fewer variants that will happen. Now, the problem is most of the world is not vaccinated. 
right? And so the variants will keep happening, uh, including in the U.S. We are not, as a society, I think we're kind of really lagging in terms of our vaccination rates. And so variants can happen. It's a natural process. Variants is how SARS-CoV-2 jumped from infecting primarily animals, we're not quite sure, probably bats, but it's that research is still going on, to humans. That's how most diseases happen. They jump from one species to another. Definitely. And I want to clear up because a lot of people think, you know, oh, I'm not going to get COVID or, you know, my kid won't get COVID because their immune system is, uh, you know, better than mine is. The virus doesn't care whether you're a Republican or you're a Democrat or how young or how old you are. It just needs a body to live off of, essentially. Right. And the virus isn't a bad or good thing. It's also trying to thrive. It's just a a thing that exists in this world. (laughs) I mean, it's part of nature. Right. Um, So we're all part of this world. I'm not speaking for viruses' rights, like I'm sure you're not. (laughs) Ideally, we would all like to eradicate the virus, right? But it's an exceptionally hard thing to do. And our job of eradicating diseases has been made much harder by misinformation. And as scientists and as uh, policymakers and government officials and as a society, we are extremely ill-equipped to deal with misinformation. I mean, I think only, what, 52 so 48% of Athens Clark County is vaccinated. 52% is still not vaccinated. And it's been what? Since 2020 end, we were ready. We were ready to go. It was the first vaccine coming out. I want to kind of uh, change the angle from the vaccine to Omicron, the variant that we're dealing with in majority right now throughout the world, but especially right now in the Southeast region in Georgia as well. Now, a lot of people have been saying, is Omicron a blessing or is it a curse for those who are vaccinated, do have their booster, and then they get the virus in terms of long-term immunity? I would say all diseases, no matter how mild, I would never call them a blessing. (laughs) They're all a curse. The problem is what Omicron shows us, it's a warning that our policies are failing. Right. While on a population level, Omicron can be is milder than the previous variants, it's really hard to predict on an individual level how it will behave. So if I get Omicron, I'm vaxxed and boosted. If I get Omicron, I have a 90-something percent chance that it will be mild. As humans, we're terrible at judging what our individual risks are. Right. That's why we play the lottery. Right. If I go and buy a Powerball ticket, I probably won't win it. Right. But we buy it in the hopes that I will be the one out of like 800 million chances that I win it, right? And that's what we're doing with this, right? So what we're doing is we're paying the lottery. But in this case, the odds are completely stacked against us. And the other reason I don't like this phrasing is because we're condemning all the people, all the disabled people, people with underlying conditions, people who are undergoing chemotherapy for cancers, for example, or are waiting on transplant lists. I have a family uh, member who's on a transplant list. And we're basically saying, oh, we don't really care about you, right? Because how can uh, we disregard the, them from our society and say, well, Omicron is mild, so you don't have to. Well, I'm healthy. Yeah, it'd probably be mild for me. But what about my friends or my family who or the other people around me, my neighbors who might be undergoing chemotherapy, right? What about them? Their immune systems cannot deal with it, even with vaccinations. What about like grandma or grandpa? We cannot discount whole sections of society like that. Right? So for me, even if it's mild, 
it's unpredictable on an individual level. So it's still a risk. Even if you're vaxxed, even if you're previously infected, the long-term immunity that you have, your immune system can only um, respond to the infections it had seen before. And you have to remember, Omicron is not may not may not be something you've seen before. So what vaccination does, it allows you time, buys you time for your body, for your immune system to react to the new variant. Buys you like so the immune system for it to ramp up, do all the things it needs to do. It's about roughly two weeks. That's enough to kill you. <laughs> COVID nineteen, you can deteriorate very rapidly with COVID nineteen. So you're taking that chance that I will be in the 80-90% where the vaccination will allow uh, me time to react to the Omicron variant. Well, how do you know that? <laughs> I don't. And there's no way to predict it. So I think, you know, we cannot play Russian roulette with uh, large segments of our population like this. Right. Would you say that getting vaccinated is probably the most patriotic thing someone in America? Absolutely. Right yeah. I mean, it buys you freedom from the buys you freedom from the virus. There's nothing more American that I can say. Exactly, exactly. You know, this exactly. is your freedom to live, right? Your life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Yep. Get a vaccine. <laughs> Get a vaccine. That's it. Get vaccinated. The I was reading about your uh, research uh, about you know plasmodium malaria. Can you explain it a little bit? It's right there in the video I see. Can you explain a little bit about your research? And then can you also kind of go into possible next pandemics that might happen? Because I was watching these videos, right? Obama was talking about it. Uh, Bill Gates was talking about it. Something so similar, describing COVID-19, almost like predicting the future. Can we do that now? (laughs) I would say, uh, unfortunately, their predictions came true, but their predictions were based on our historical record, right? So the flu pandemic, or the 1918 pandemic um, was terrible, right? And this was based on the fact that the, one of the most difficult things is viruses that spread through the air, right? They're really hard to contain. Uh, if it's through a mosquito or something, you can put nets and whatnot. Um, and so predicting the next pandemic is really hard. But what I would say is you need to look at what are the zoonotic diseases. So what do I mean by zoonotic disease? These are diseases that primarily infect animals and birds and so on but then can jump to humans, like swine flu, bird flu. Those are diseases that primarily go around in animals, but occasionally will jump into us. And with sort of habitat destruction and humans moving into what previously used to be forested areas with wild animals, we are coming as a society more and more in contact with these creatures. And so diseases jumping to us is a problem. So there's things like Nipah virus, uh, Ebola, which are <laughs> extremely fatal. And we still don't quite understand how they're transmitted. But when people get it, there's an 80 to 90% chance that they will die. I would like to see anybody argue against an Ebola vaccine, right, for example. And then there's the other things that are spreading in the US right now, um, things like chikungunya, which is a disease that affects the joints. It's not, it's, it, its mortality rate is low, what I mean. So usually one in about a thousand people and often you know, if they have immunocompromised in some way is a problem. But even for people who recover from chikungunya, you can have lifelong joint issues, which is obviously not a fun way to live, right? Um, so that's another disease that uh, potentially the next pandemic, hopefully not. And the other ones that the, some of them are from the diseases I study. So I, our lab studies malaria, 
I like to call it the oldest pandemic that still hasn't gone away, right? Uh, because malaria has infected humans since time immemorial. And it still kills about 600,000 kids under the age of five every year. And so what we try to, our lab studies is, we're trying to understand how it grows inside human cells and grows inside red blood cells, human red blood cells that you see back there in red. And, and green is the uh, bug that we kill. So why, it's not a virus, it's a parasite. What does that mean? It means it's a eukaryotic cell. So it has 5,000 genes. It looks like a lot of our cells. So it's really difficult to tackle. There are malaria parasites. Uh, so the one we study is called pulsiparum. That's the species name. Um, that's what causes most of the mortality. But there are other uh, plasmodium species like uh, nolzai and cinnamolzum. These are primarily infect monkeys. But in South and Southeast Asia, they're now starting to infect humans as well with a high fatality rate. So that's, that's a really dangerous development. My guess is we're... Hopefully, we learn a few lessons from the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic. And the next time we have a pandemic, we'll have a much better game plan, right? So what it is, it's going to be really hard to predict. I sincerely hope it's not the Nipah virus or Ebola. There's also dengue, which is another viral disease that's um, really hard to treat. And there's no good vaccine. What amazing thing that's happened so far in terms of uh, scientific progress is the vaccine, the new, completely new vaccine technology that was developed. It's completely new because while parts of the, the way the vaccine has been, the mRNA vaccines has been studied for more than 50 years, all of these parts were put together in a single vaccine for the first time. Why is it powerful? Because we can sequence a virus in like a few hours. And once you have the sequence, you can make an mRNA vaccine literally the next day. And that's exactly what happened. That technology we simply didn't have before the SARS-CoV-2. There is no way to predict that. So you cannot predict what the next virus is going to be. But now you have this technology that within a day or two, you can start making vaccines. And so that's really powerful. In terms of what's next, it's hard to predict. But, you know, since we are dealing with studying, still studying a pandemic is millennia, several millennia old, our hope is we turn it into an endemic disease. Malaria is an endemic disease. It's not a pandemic, though. I mean, the only reason we don't consider it a pandemic is because it doesn't uh, happen in the U.S. and Europe. But Asia, Africa, South America, Oceania, these are all places that are affected by malaria. Right? I've had it as a kid, and it's not something I would recommend anybody get it. And so those are things that we study. I mean, I got interested in malaria because I self-diagnosed my own parasites. I saw my blood smear under the microscope as a college kid, and that got me hooked in, into studying this disease. So yeah, so that's what we do. You're asking me to predict the future, which I will resist. <laughs> I don't think I have the capability to do that. Uh, right. Let's just hope that in your lifetime, in my lifetime, and hopefully my kid's lifetime, we don't have another pandemic. I hope. Fingers, all my fingers crossed. My toes are crossed. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm really, you, so you brought on uh, the mRNA conversation. Now, uh, Pfizer and Moderna are both mRNA based and Johnson & Johnson is adenovirus based. So what does that say about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine? Because there was one point where it was like, get the vaccine that you you are, you know, you can get. 
the thing that's accessible to you. And then it turned out to be, okay, if you got these mRNA vaccines, you can wait up till five months to get your booster. But when you got this Johnson and Johnson vaccine, you know, pushing aside all the other health issues that kept being associated with Johnson Johnson, you get your booster after two months, three months. So what does that say about that vaccine? The ones, the people that got the Johnson and Johnson, the adenovirus base. Um, I, I would say it's a case of when there's a wildfire and you have a swimming pool or a lake or the sea, you don't care where the water comes from. You just want to put it out. So you take whatever vaccine you can get. And the other sort of one major issue with the mRNA is it's still under patent. For whatever reason, we've decided not to share that. So for the rest of the world, it's still inaccessible. Right? In Africa, in South America, in parts of Asia, they don't, you can't have access to either the Pfizer or the Moderna vaccine because both companies have decided to keep their patents. So for them, the older adenovirus-based technology or protein, recombinant protein subunit-based, uh, where you basically make the spike protein in vitro and then inject it into people. So they see the spike protein. So those are the technologies that are available for the rest of the world. And that's what the rest of the world uses. My personal take is we could be more generous in this time of crisis, right? Right. Free the patent. Free the patent. The U.S. government does have the power to do that, but they haven't exercised it yet. Um, Or share the vaccine more widely, right? So Mm. so there's enough vaccine, like, you know, you hear stories about how, you know, several hundred thousand doses or millions of doses go waste or expire sitting in warehouses uh, in the U.S., in Canada, and in Europe. There is no need for that, right? Um, Those can be shared with the rest of the world. Uh, We're doing some sharing. But I would say it's not of the scale that would prevent a variant from coming up. Well, Dr. Morali Dern, I'm Dr. Vasant. I really mm-hmm. appreciate you <laughs> coming, taking out the time and talking about this. I've been curious. I know I asked you to predict the future. So yes. whatever you said, I'll call you back. <laughs> so in case I, I'll call you back, Dr. Vasant. Absolutely. So what do we do now? Um, <laughs> but I do appreciate- get off Facebook and stop right? forwarding misinformation right. on WhatsApp. I don't know. <laughs> well, I appreciate you taking out the time. And for those of you listening, we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Athens Frontline podcast presented by The Red and Black. I'm your host, Simran Kaur Malhotra. Make sure you tune back in next week for our next episode. Until then, check us out on social media at Red and Black. Have a healthy and safe rest of your week.